Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University. And I'm here with a journalist, filmmaker, producer, quite an extraordinary person who's really fashioned a very interesting career. I'm with Tracy Atkins, uh, co-director of uh, GoldenEye Media. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Oh, no, I'm very excited. When I... The last conversation I had with you, I thought you would be great on radio. And as a journalist, I think you'd be perfect. You used to be with Channel 9. People would know your face if you were still at Channel 9. But tell me about that time. Oh, gosh, I used to be with Channel 9, Channel 10. I worked at most of the regional stations around the country. I was in the ABC. I used to read the Asian news, um, Australia television news across Asia. So... They may remember my face, although it's got a few more lines, I think, than when it used to be on television. But, um, oh, that was the best time of my life. I loved being a journalist. 17 years in television and worked across Australia and and in Europe and uh, in the United States. And I always said, and I tell my daughters who all love to write, that being a journalist gives you the best tickets to the greatest shows on earth because mm. you get access to people and things that you would never normally get mm. and it's it's an extraordinary career to be in. So Tracy, why the change change of direction? You mentioned you had one very disappointing interview. <laughs> I think it was a defining moment for me and journalism, Stephen. Um, I had been, as I said, doing it a long time and I'd been living overseas in England working for Granada and I came back and Channel 10 who I loved working for I mean there's always been judgment calls on 10 but they supported me as a female reporter and as a a woman reporter which it's often difficult to do well in really they were great they let me travel do great stories I came back it was put into the Melbourne newsroom and I decided that um, I was married and I was in the kid the kid stage of my life and the, the I think that they just sort of started to think that perhaps I would be doing some softer stories. But I um, I got sent out to do a story this day, and I was doing what was called the network stories, which were the national stories that would go around all the newsrooms in the country. And the biggest story coming out of Melbourne that day was the arrival of the Furbies, which were this fluffy talking toy, revolutionary, I think, at the what, time. What year would this be? Oh, this was about 1997, mm-hmm. 1998. And they said, you need to go out and cover the arrival of the first Furby into this Kmart store somewhere. Um, and it's a talking toy. Yeah, so it, it was talking to people, apparently, and it was quite exciting. I, so I got sent out. We drove for about an hour, and we got out to this store, and there was a, a gathering. There was a media launch of this thing, and it came out of a box. And I'm standing there with a microphone, and they said, would you like to interview it? And they were all very breathless. And um, I said... Hello, Mr. Furby, what's it like to be in Australia? And it just stared at me. <laughs> so this ridiculous interview unfolded for about five minutes of me interviewing a lifeless toy. That well, just, what did it say? Nothing. It grunted. It sort of went, and it made a couple of little noises. And finally, I've, I've looked despairingly at the man that was, you know, the, the king of Furbies, and he said, it's a little grumpy today because it's just come out of a box. And... I just remember thinking, wow, I've come to this. And I walked back, I walked into my news director's uh, office when I got back to the newsroom and he was a wonderful man. And um, I sat down and I said, Dermot, I, I just think that maybe my days in journalism have come to an end. And he said, yes, I completely concur. So uh, we, we decided then that perhaps I would leave. And that was the time that I left day-to-day newsmaking. Mm-hmm. 
but the spirit of journalism and the and the the love of storytelling and the that love of asking questions always remains i think so what did you do you, you left journalism for a while and then you you were thinking about doing something quite different yeah i did i left journalism I, I had children and i always wanted to keep writing i do love to write for me that's just mm. it's a way to just spend my days and so i actually got involved in um doing some real estate writing a, a few friends of mine were working on real estate projects and they said hey would you be able to write about them and i used to go and write and i always used to think well i hate the way that we just present homes and property and there's stories with these places the way the passion that's gone into creating them and the the way people live in them and I struggled to fit into that real estate style and and mold and eventually um I started working on ideas about um perhaps telling the stories of homes and I started to realize there was a real niche for it and of course my background had always been television so we'd always told our stories through pictures and words and when you work in television journalism you you gather a knack to write to your pictures and I'd started in newspapers and then when you cross over you're told if you're really going to make what people are watching on the screen work your words need to make the pictures come alive not compete with them mm. they need to support the imagery and so I started to think about wouldn't it be amazing if I could write the stories of houses that made the pictures work about them and so we started shooting videos and then started telling telling stories and all of a sudden it just grew and grew and people started to say, I love what you're doing. So how did GoldenEye Media start? Well, uh, effectively, it's a, it's, that was an interesting moment. I was doing this sort of work and I was in Hong Kong um, doing a story about real estate and about houses. And um, I'd hired a film crew over there, um, a British film crew, and I was working with them and we were covering these couple of these couple of stories. And that morning in the hotel, I was having breakfast and they had some books sitting around and one of them was about great resorts in the world. And I'd opened this book up and there was the resort that's owned by Ian Fleming that wrote all the Bond books. And he's got this beautiful old resort in Jamaica called Goldeneye, named after one of the Bond movies. And um, I looked at it and I thought, gosh, that looks ideal. Like, that would be a place I went where if I ever had a, a business and it was fabulous, I'd take all my team and one day and we'd go and have a holiday in a place like that. And I don't know why I had such a ridiculous thought, really. I'd obviously had one too many coffees. Anyway, the, that afternoon I had to... I'd finished the project and the, the, the film crew sat down to me and they said, do, do, who do we write the invoice out to here? Do you have a company or a business or do I just write it out to Tracy Atkins? And I said... Write it out to Goldeneye Media. And at, right at that moment, I thought, I'm going to start a company. I'm going to do this professionally. I'm going to stop being Tracy Atkins. I'm going to take a professional approach and have a red-hot go at this. And that's how Goldeneye started. And then you started working with um, Jeanette. Yes. So Goldeneye has been around for several years, and we've grown. And then what happened with the company was, and that's and it, it's the background of why Jeanette joined because having so, Jeanette join Jeanette Kendall, Kendall. join is um extraordinary for our business. So we were working really well in Australia and we done we got invited by Christie's, Ken Jacobs and the Fairfax family, or I got invited to go and speak to them about doing the program for the Elaine estate, um, which went to the market uh, about 18 months ago. It's the most significant property ever to be offered for sale in Australia. Extraordinary, in yes. It's two acres on the harbour. It's been in the Fairfax family for 120 years. It's entertained royalty. You know, it's such great provenance there. And they 
The Fairfax family cares so much about this estate. They didn't want it treated as a commodity. They didn't want a real estate approach. They didn't want its story jammed into a hundred words or less. Light and bright. Yes. They, they wanted to tell, they wanted the world market to understand that when you bought this home, if you bought it, you bought a piece of Australian heritage and Mm. they wanted it to be retained as a great estate, if that possible. So, they spoke to me about, can you create a program that does that? And we, they were wonderfully supportive and they agreed. And we went and did a story. We interviewed the architect, Howard Tenner, who was a close family friend of the Fairfax family. And we created this great program. It was used by Christie's. They loved it. Mm-hmm. So then they said, would you mind coming to our global conference in Barcelona and telling our global network why you do what you do and the benefits of it? Because we think it will appeal because we are marketing great homes everywhere around the world. So I went and spoke at that and I stepped off the stage thinking that went quite well. And we went to a break and they were lined up down the, it was the most extraordinary moment. There were great real property agents lined up in a row to speak to me. And the very first lady that handed over card said, I have an island in the Bahamas. Would you like to come and make a film about it? And I went, oh, this sounds like my kind of work. But what happened was as they all lined up, I realised there was an outlet. They were saying, we understand we've got great property, but we don't know how to tell its story. Mm. So Gold and I very quickly began to grow. And within, I think, six weeks, my team, Michael Moritz, I've got a great filmmaker that works with me, a director of mm. content, Michael. We were over in the United States filming great properties over there. And then very quickly that spread to Europe. And then about that time, Jeanette had been my next door neighbour for 10 years and we were great friends. She's had a an extraordinary career across advertising and, and global marketing and she'd spent three years in China working in at the highest level for one of the great Chinese uh, gaming groups and she was returning to Australia and she and I had always talked, we'd workshopped about how what Goldeneye was doing could be great and she'd always followed the journey and when she came back I said, Jeanette, if you could spend a little time with me in the business to, to give me advice and um, she spent a bit of time in the business and she ended up falling in love with the business. Mm-hmm. She could see the capability of what we do to spread across the global marketplace, but particularly into Asia where I think people are going in with a very commercialistic, probably uh, very hard line about just mm-hmm. selling to China. Mm-hmm. And the Chinese are great storytellers. They respect her- heritage. They respect culture. There was... Um uh, Tracy, there was uh, one property in America that the, from memory, you said that the uh, owner of the house, or the, a person who was interested in buying this very palatial home, uh, said to you, please don't release the film that you had made until he'd had actually signed the contract. Because I think he was worried that the film would actually uh, generate interest and he would lose the opportunity of buying that home. I think that says something about the power of film. Yes. It does. It does. And we made this great film, Extraordinary Property in Wyoming, um, where they gave us carte blanche to genuinely tell the story. We spoke to a passionate architect and it made an incredible film and we were very excited. It was given to this very good agent who understood that he had something really rare that he wanted to put in front of a handful of people who he thought would understand Mm. the power of this film and this property before it went to market. And straight away someone said... I want that house. I've seen that film and that's enough for me to know. I'm prepared to pay an extraordinary price, but my terms are I don't want that film being seen by anyone else until Mm. we've concluded our 
contractual obligations for us to purchase this property. Mm. So um, that showed the power. He understood that it would build desire. The agent did. Mm. And we say probably that's what makes us realise the power of what we do and excites us the most, that we're not out there looking for a million mm. YouTube watches, mm. Stephen. We want to engage with people in small numbers to see this work and get an understanding for what's behind these properties. And what's interesting about GoldenEye Media is you also, it's not just about homes, you film people with great collections. Yes. People who've had extraordinary lives, yes. who want to tell their own story and they're very personal and very engaging. It seems obvious, but why hasn't that been done before? It's it's only done on such a small scale on commercial television. Oh, well, I think, do you know why? I think there's, to a degree, look, I think you and I have discussed mm. it amongst ourselves. God knows we just talk about it at GoldenEye. I think people have become accustomed to glossing over things, to taking the easy approach. And it's very easy if you just sort of pick the top layer off everything and tell a very easy story and you move on to the next. You know, it's this one second, look at that, I got the gist of it, let me mm. see what I can look at next. To tell great stories involves time. It involves research. It involves attention and it involves great care. That makes things more costly mm. and it does make you have to com commit at a different level and I think that you know we've got a society today that wants to just get as much quick. eye quick a quick click a quick view a quick like you know it's that no. sort of society but the and things that you're working on are things that have evolved over Years, houses that have been taken years to build, or absolutely hundreds of years old collections that have been grown out of you know people's history that would took decades to amass. They're personal things; they can't be just done in one hit. But obviously, people uh, not just uh, the market appreciates what you do. But you recently won an industry award. We did. We had, we we smile about that because. Um, we won the Melbourne Design Award um, for our film, the one in Wyoming that we just spoke about. And we just thought, when would the day ever come that a real estate film would win a major design award? And the Melbourne Design Awards are wonderful because they, they cross mm. so many genres and great names have won awards in them. And we were so delighted because we said, we have always, and, and you know, my instincts as a journalist, Stephen, I abhor commercialism. No journalist wants to be seen to be selling anything. And I, mm. I, I step away so hard from us ever to be seen selling mm. things. And I think when the design industry says we are appreciating what you're doing, mm. then our job is being done because we want to say that we represent, mm. we tell stories, but we are never selling. We're telling, not selling. On the downside, um, when you're given a home to film and you think, I just don't know what to do with it. It doesn't sing to you. It's not, there's not the provenance and there must it must happen occasionally where you are given something to look at and you think how can we make it sing how do you how do you approach it because you know you do try your best and try and work out an angle but what are some of the pitfalls with some of the things that you have to film or photograph or write about well, it's interesting, actually. <clears throat> That's really when what we do should come to light because, um, and we often say it's, it's a double-edged sword for us because sometimes we are given the difficult ones because they don't sit well within a traditional real estate model. And so people say, we've come to you to help us find the story. And we'll say, wow, well, this is not an easy one. There nearly always is, Stephen, if you try hard enough. And look, there's, 
you know, there's some houses that you just don't even have to work on them. They are a story in themselves. You turn on a camera and it all happens for you because it's so, there's provenance, there's beauty, there's history. It's all served up to you on a platter. Mm. The greatest work we can do is when we find a house that doesn't seem to sit within the model and we find it, we can dig in. And sometimes they're the ones that end up being the most rewarding because they surprise people mm. and they delight people and they bring into the foreground things that sometimes the owners never knew about their mm. own houses. The greatest delight we have is... And generally the houses that we get brought in on, there are passionate owners. That's why we're there. We love it when they say, you know, we never knew that about our house or we never saw that in it. Mm. Thank you for reminding us why we fell in love with this house or what's rare about it. And it's something they can take away with them for the rest of their lives. And that's been the greatest gift of our things because our films are great. I mean, commercially they they work in in the real estate sense, but these are heritage pieces. Now, we just did one in... Pebble Beach about the most extraordinary property and it was a genuine love story and the the story behind it really hasn't come out. It was a private conversation between the, the owner and I but it allowed me to understand the story of this house and then when he rang me up and said I cried when I watched it and I have something he actually, now. he lost his wife. Yeah, he did. He lost his wife and the house became a legacy to her. And um, the passion, you know, and it's easy for people to judge. And none of that came out in the marketing. You know, people might look at it and say, well, it just seems a little over the top. When you understood why he went to the extents and the love that he had for his wife mm. and, and the way that he explained that to me made me determined that the film that we made would be testament to that to that passion that he had. Um, and when he rang me up and said, because I was incredibly nervous about him seeing that film for the first mm. time because I thought, have I done a good enough job for him? Mm. And when he rang me up and he said, there's nothing I would change, I cried when I watched mm. it, and I now have a way to explain to my grandchildren mm. why that why that house will always remain mm-hmm. the way that it is. He said to me, and I said, is it incredibly hard to sell this house? And he said... I have the house, but my love for my wife is in the attic of my mind, which was such a beautiful line. And he said, I I am ready to let go. But he said, I always want the children to know uh, and the grandchildren and their children that that was for their grandmother. Well, um, Tracy, I I know it's changing very slowly, but why um, are predominantly Australian real estate agents they look at things in a very similar way. It's just a matter of, you know, opening the door, showing the house, getting the, the buyers in, rather than actually standing back and saying, what's the best way to actually engage with people about this house? And it is different from America because they they do understand the power of film. Is it changing in Australia or you think it's oh, still something that's hard to... It is slowly. Look, the conversations are being had, which probably didn't used to be had, um, there's a model in Australia that's worked really well. It's an interesting model with Australian real estate is because we're quite conditioned to the timed campaign because um, it, whether or not every house is going to an auction, Australia is quite used to sort of, you know, a, a machine running through the way that we sell houses four weeks onto market, take it to auction, sell it. So there's this sort of almost a formula approach. Mm. Um, so I think that it's worked very well. They've become conditioned, I guess, to a degree, there hasn't been a lot of imagination. And with the property market being so buoyant in Australia, they probably feel we don't really need to try very hard. It's absolutely true. I think it is changing. I think what's happening is we are getting, we're getting actually, it's interesting, Stephen, our business, because we're getting a profile, we're getting approached by a lot of owners directly saying, 
would you work with us to help us create the marketing we think would represent our house? Mm. We don't really want to sit within the real estate agent's model, um, which is it's mm. an interesting shift. Um, it's it look and what we do doesn't sit within the budgets normally, but and it was this is a great observation which always sat with me. I had a f- a friend in the past that he was the head of one of the big car companies and um, he said to me. You know, it's interesting if you can't if you have to struggle to get people to to understand what it is that you do. He said, "Do you know how many how much money I would spend on television and film work to sell twenty million dollars worth of cars?" He said, "It it it belies me that you don't you have people that don't want to spend that kind of money mm. to sell a twenty million dollar house." You know, mm. there's just not that mindset. But I think. That you know, and it's interesting. I just mentioned to you, and I'll, I'll t- touch on it briefly because I think mm. it's the key point. We have people that own these houses that they they're passionate. They'll stand by their price, and they say, "But I don't get that the market doesn't understand that it's worth this amount of money, and we want this for it because our heart and soul went into it, and it's a great home." And we say, "Well, why don't you create a campaign that says that? Mm. If you create." marketing that makes it look like a commodity, then the market's going to treat it like a commodity. Invest in programs that make the under, the market understand and that it is special and rare and great. And what's important is there was a house recently that you were involved in by Harold Desbrownia that was yes. renovated by Marcus Martin. Yes. And that was an important house. Yes. And if you don't tell the story about that house, then it is just bricks and mortar. And the market doesn't get to understand, and you want them to understand that I'm not just buying another commodity. And I'd say, let's not treat these great houses, let's not put them into the formula model, let's Mm. just not churn them through, make people arrive and say, this is special, special, and and now I understand. I understand because, you know, every owner wants the best possible Mm. price, and Mm. if we're going to be as... You know, if we're going to be as hard and fast as that, then give the people a reason to understand why you you expect and, that from and, them. And you know, people don't realise the importance of some of these architects who you're working with. Oh, yeah. People like Harold Desbrownia are considered the first modernist in Australia. I mean, he really connected to the outdoors and opened up rooms when people were still, you know, sitting in front of the fireplace with a shawl over their knees, you know, it was just a whole different way of thinking. So it is important to get that story out. And it, and it's sad when these houses go to market, Stephen, and, and that isn't explained and it isn't brought to life mm. and someone doesn't get to stand in a, in a, you know, a living room and stare out that window and say, I understand why it's like this yeah. and I want to be, a, yeah. I want to have a little part of that. Um Tracy, you have this wonderful um, little um, saying that's framed in your office. <laughs> Absolutely delight. When I first saw it, I thought that must be everyone's dream. It says, uh, we only do fabulous. Yes. It must be the absolute goal of everyone living on this planet. <laughs> and even though it sounds really flippant, you are only doing fabulous. Oh, thank you, Stephen. And it's very uplifting to, um, to see the work you're doing because... In uh, in Australia, it's not often appreciated, and it's bringing a new dimension to architecture, design, and a real insight into how people live. Oh, that's great, Stephen. Thank you. We do try every now and again. We say, "Okay, are we quite? Are we really doing fabulous?" Let's remind ourselves. And you're right; it sounds flippant, but for us, it's actually a commitment that, unless it feels like it told a story, it shed light. It's celebrated design or people or greatness or commitment or passion, then why, then we're not doing our job. 
That's been wonderful speaking to you, Tracy. Um, look, I love what you're doing. Thank you, Stephen. We love collaborating with you I've sometimes, colla- a few bringing times, your voice. But I've, I've just—it's—it's it. nice to see a different dimension to homes rather than just you know light and bright and uh, or you can renovate or you can knock it down or you could do whatever you like and you get a bit jaded and when you see people who are actually telling a story and really bringing some emotion to architecture it really is impressive so well done on the award thank you um i hope you continue to only do fabulous oh, and that you don't you have to do anything less than fabulous <laughs> we're doing our best <laughs> and also trace that you never have to speak to a furby is <laughs> A Furby. Look, Furby. if I have another Furby moment, Furby. I hope I don't strike a house with a Furby in a toy room anytime soon because I, I may run screaming from the building. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for coming in today. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design, and I've been with um, Tracy Atkins, co-director of GoldenEye Media. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you, Stephen.